As most of you have most likely noticed, this morning's sermon is entitled, Not Just My Interpretation. It should be no surprise that we started out this sermon series, Things Christians Say, talking about the Bible. I know many of us lament the fact that many times Christians fail to say things that are consistent with the Bible and the scriptures that it contains. Sometimes, as men and women who believe the scriptures are the inspired words of God, to heal the world of evil, it could be disheartening that the church is so divided and full of different interpretations. Many have been led to think, if the church is that which has been designed by God to make known the manifold wisdom of God, and they can't get it right, what hope is there for the world? A bit of history to begin this morning. By the time of the 16th century, the Catholic Church had developed into an institution that saw itself not only as guardian, but interpreter of God's word. Many councils and reforms within the church had taken place since the time of Christ, yet the church made up of fallible individuals, people capable of being wrong, should never or should be ever reforming, always renewing our minds by way of his word rather than saying we are the interpreters of God's word. Martin Luther, an Augustinian monk at that time in the 15th century, would say, let the man who would hear God speak read the scriptures. Since we launched this series last month, I have labored to demonstrate how we as Christians are called to live and, dare I say, breathe the true knowledge of God. How we are called to handle the Bible accurately. And last week I detailed that as carriers of the word of God, we should be mindful of how we speak that word, how we speak the words of God as men and women sent by God, as the Apostle Paul says there in 2 Corinthians. Sadly, many have taken the Bible for granted. We know that the Bible is more often than not known as a family heirloom or a paperweight. However, I know, as, as I have learned a bit of the history of the Bible, that there are many who have stood up the fight for the scriptures, have died to allow for the ability of having an English Bible, a Bible in my common language that I might study and understand. In 1517, that monk, Martin Luther, stood before a council of Catholic bishops to challenge the notions that the common man could not own, read, nor understand the scriptures. He accused the church of building up traditions much the same way Jesus Christ railed against the religious leaders of his generation. In the council at the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther remarked, unless I am convinced by scripture and by plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have often contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. And sure enough, on October 31st of this year, we will see the 500th year of Martin Luther's reforms. Again, as a man who believed he was called by God to teach scripture, to know scripture, to make known the manifold wisdom of God. 500 years of us having the scriptures in our hands him beginning the journey because it's been a journey to get the Bible in our hands. See, now you have a Christian reason to celebrate the detested Halloween date. 
We could call it Reformation Day. Since the days of Martin Luther, the Christian church has splintered and fractured and fractioned into over 6,000 different denominations that are based on various interpretations of the things we find in Scripture. This often leaves many wondering, did Luther do a service or a disservice to the people of God? Bob DeWay, a writer, a Christian writer, said, The Bible, history's most published, studied, translated, and quoted book. It is also its most misused and misinterpreted book. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go into a sort of crash course on Bible interpretation. Now again, this is something that I sat through Bible college for and learned a lot. It's, it's mind-blowing to think I'm going to be able to compound all of that into one sermon. However, I'm going to do my best. Again, we've called it a crash course. So what is fitting is to open up with a word of prayer as I'll share this with you, what Martin Luther had to say in regards to prayer. He said, That the Holy Scriptures cannot be penetrated by study and talent is most certain. Therefore, your first duty is to begin to pray. And to this effect, that if it pleases God to accomplish something for his glory, not for yours or any other person, he is very gracious and truly grants understanding of his words. For no master of the divine word exists except for the author of these words. As he said, they shall be taught of God. You must, be completely, you must completely despair of your own industry and ability and rely solely on the inspiration of the Spirit. Let's do exactly that this morning. Heavenly Father, we give you all the glory, Lord. We thank you for going before us in our study. We thank you for going before me as I make known your truth from your word, Lord. I pray that I do justice in not offering up an interpretation, Lord, but allowing you to be the interpreter and for us to be those that are sent from you expounding upon the truth that you interpret, Lord. Thank you for the spirit that allows us to be diligent in study and to make these things known boldly. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So, I know I'm not the only one that has heard another Christian say, again, here we are in our sermon series, Things Christians Say, it's all a matter of interpretation. Or, the detested, that's just your interpretation. As Pastor Steve had rightly made known of this morning in using of Isaiah chapter 55 is that we are not at liberty to use the Bible as a smorgasbord of truth. Just kind of piece it all together wherever you want. Unfortunately, as Pastor Steve also noted, that's what has been done by and large within the Christian community. I've heard Christians say the Bible can be made to, you know, you can make the Bible into anything you want. I've heard people outside the church accuse Christians of doing that as well. And then, of course, I've heard the, no one can understand the true meaning. Now, that's truly lamentable if you hear that from a Christian. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, we read, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So we know that there is an accurate way to handle the word of truth, as we noted last week. We know that we can study to show ourselves as a workman who does not need to be ashamed by grasping the word of truth. So there is a proper interpretation. The proper interpretation does not come from the individual. I want to share with you a quote about rightly dividing. I want to place some emphasis this morning and focus on rightly dividing the word of truth. Here's a quote. 
The Bible student is to very carefully cut and divide the word of God in order to understand it aright. When we study God's word, we must carefully cut and dissect. Now, I know many of you may say, oh, well, I kind of agree with that. A little bit here, a little bit there, kind of going back and forth and searching the scriptures. But that is not what this man meant when he said that quote. This man is a dispensationalist, again, a tradition within Christianity that teaches that you are to make these divisions in Scripture between the the Scriptures that apply to the genealogical Jews and then those that apply to Gentiles. Obviously, the first thing we should be thinking about is, well, no, the New Testament truth makes clear that the promises of God were being made known not to Jew nor Gentile, but to the children of God that were being made known through the Spirit, through Jesus Christ. So dispensationalism already goes out the window when you truly understand the force of what Christ's message was. However, another thing is that we're not to artificially divide the Bible. Not to cut it up and dissect it. You're to understand it. In order to arrive at the proper interpretation of what this text is saying, rightly dividing, I did a little bit of research. Because one thing I will say is this. If you start to piecemeal the Bible you're only going to be able to lean upon your own understanding because you're removing the context that places that if I wrote a letter, there's a context. My personality, my relationship with the person I'm writing the letter to is a context. The entire letter is the context. The purpose for the letter is the context. The dating of the letter is context. We need to know all of those things. Imagine you writing a letter and somebody taking a sentence out of it and using that as the interpretation. That's what happens when we cut and dissect according to how the dispensationalist wants us to read our Bible. So as I began to look into the original language, I found out that the word used here for rightly dividing is the word in Greek, orthomeo, orthotomeo. Orthotomeo is a word that is used to talk about cutting a road in a straight manner. It's as if there's a big brush field and you're trying to make a road through it. So you would cut a road through the road. Now, you know you wouldn't cut in different pieces because then you're not going to have a straight path. That's that's what you should be thinking about here is having a straight path. So let's take a look. If we look at the text with that in mind, it would say, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, making a straight path through the word of truth. If indeed what this writer would want you to do by cutting it up, piecemealing it, the Greek word that would be used there would be katatomaio. Katatomaio is actually used in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, where it talks about those who would divide you up, the Judaizers that were causing havoc within the churches, especially there at the church of Philippi. So how do we understand the Bible? How do we have methods or understandings? You know, and this is something that is often asked of me when I go to different conferences and people say, how do we actually understand the scriptures? The first thing I'll say is this, and something I said earlier in our study, is that context trumps everything. When you fully understand the context and you fully begin to search out the matter, that trumps any interpretation you seek to impose upon the text. So context should lead our study. Many of you might know the acronym I had shared when I first came here. HEARTS, Hebrew Exclusivity Audience Relevance Time Statements. 
Great stuff, but context will trump even that. So when we're talking about making a straight way, what we need to have knowledge of is the biblical narrative and the context, both historical and textual. What that means is the biblical narrative, we must know what the Bible is. We must know what the history of the writings in the Bible is. We must know who the writers of the Bible are. And then we must know the actual text and leave the text in its proper context. Like the letter to the church of Philippi. What is chapter 3 speaking about? Well, read the whole letter. That's how we get a proper understanding. Historical and textual context. By developing a biblical narrative. We've already talked about what the Bible is. 66 books. 27 New Testament. 39, I'm sorry, 27 Old Testament. 39 New Testament. We have the law. First five books, we have the prophets, which fill out the Old Testament, and we have the writings, which are Song of Songs, Proverbs, Book of Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. These are the writings, the law, the prophets, and the writings, as Jesus said. They testified to him. So then in the New Testament, you have the Gospels, which are detailing the biographies, if you will, of Jesus. And then you have the epistles, the different writings. And in learning about these different things, another thing we have to pay attention to is the grammar and the literature. Of these writings. How did the prophets speak? What is the difference between prophetic writings and the writings, the books of wisdom? These are things that need to be taken into consideration. And then, of course, after you do those deep study of those things, then you say, What is the biblical narrative and how does how do these details that I'm learning and studying through and searching through scripture, how do they enter into the story that flows from Genesis to Revelation, the biblical narrative. Here at Blue Point Bible Church, we talk a lot about Jewish context. That's interesting because in noting Jewish context, we're going to have to talk about the types and the antitypes because I know some who would say that the Old Testament is the Bible concealed, whereas the New Testament is the Bible revealed. So, We want to be careful when we talk about the Jewish context because, yes, we know that there was much Jewish context that was pointing to the Messiah. However, the Messiah trumps all the other contexts. Really, what this should be leading you to realize is that Bible study is not easy. If there's one thing I'm enforcing this morning for you, it is that Bible study is not easy. It requires work. Again, I'm going to read that text one more time for us. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Be diligent. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Accurately handling the word of truth. If you don't want to be ashamed, you must be diligent in study. Not pick up the Bible and just hope that it speaks to you today. That's not the proper way. Well, that's hardly diligent, and that's not the proper way to study. So what we need is, we need hermeneutics. We need science for how to interpret our Bible. Because otherwise, what we've noted is that we will lean upon our own understanding. Matter of fact, what I want to share with you is a little bit of wisdom from Peter. His second writing, 2 Peter chapter 3. Listen to what he had to say. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. I'm going to back up a little bit here, go to verse 14. It says, Therefore, beloved... Since you look for these things, I was talking about all the glorious realities of the new heavens and new earth. Again, something that really requires some study, diligent study to learn the context. 
But since you, were, you, you look forward to these things, you look for these things, these are the summation of your faith. Be diligent to be found in Christ, in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to wisdom given to him, wrote to you. So we know Peter's writing to those that Paul had previously written to. And he says this, As also in all of his letters, speaking in them these things, in which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Yet you, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on guard so that you are not carried away by their error by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but instead grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So you see, Peter knew that some people had distorted the word of truth. This is not something we're just at liberty to distort. He calls them wicked, unstable men. Your interpretation affects your worldview. And that's very important when we're reading our Bible and studying our Bible. You see, I could go on and on talking about the danger of influence, the danger of paradigms, the danger of entering into the scriptures with presuppositions. What you're doing is you're pitting the word of man against the word of God. We want to be careful with that. That's not saying there's no value in reading through commentaries and examining traditions. Again, we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we are called to prove all things. So, yes, we should be looking through the commentaries. We should be looking through the traditions. But ultimately allowing the word of God to be the word of God. Properly studied out. So then we enter into the talk of, of heresy. I'm actually going to be talking this coming Tuesday about heresy on the Harry Ticks Variety Show. I love what Thomas Aquinas, a 13th century church father, 13th century church, you know, instructor, within the Catholic faith, what he had to say about heresy. He said, he is a heretic who, while the keeping the outward appearance of Christian religion, does or follows false opinions for a desire of human approval, earthly reward, or worldly pleasures. Did you catch that? A heretic is he who puts on the outward appearance of faith, outward appearance of the true knowledge of God, but follows false opinions Desiring human approval, earthly rewards, or other world pleasures. It's an interesting study to go through and look at how heresy would have been understood in the ancient Near East, how heresy would have been understood in the Old Testament times, how heresy would have been understood in the New Testament times, how heresy would have been understood in church history, and ultimately how it is being understood today. I'll tell you, look forward to that show on the Harry Ticks Variety Show. You know, one thing I'll say is this. Hermeneutics is a lot more than a comedian group that came here from Canada. Hermeneutics actually comes from the Greek word that is used to translate explained in English in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. I found that to be an interesting truth there. When Jesus explained, he used hermeneutics to detail the kingdom of God. I want to share with you a couple things about hermeneutics from some of my studies. First, I want to share with you a quote about hermeneutics. The basic idea in hermeneutics is that the author's meaning is to control our interpretation. God, the Holy Spirit, inspired the human writers of Scripture who used their own languages in their historical setting to convey their meaning. 
The job of the interpreter is to come to a clear understanding of that meaning, meaning the author's intended meaning. This means, most importantly, that if we love the truth and have a heart to learn, we must be willing to learn even if what we learn is not what we had hoped for or expected. You see, because other than if if we do opposite of that, if we do not love the truth and cling to the truth and instead seek to allow to interpret the scriptures in a way that they speak to us according to our desires, we do what Jesus accused the Pharisees of in Mark chapter 7, verse 13. We invalidate the word of God by way of our tradition. Your tradition might be personal interpretation. You see, it's important to study heresies, as I was mentioning before, because in looking at errors in Bible interpretation, which have existed for centuries, since they are often common in our cultures throughout the centuries, we can identify them, learn from them, and thus avoid them in the future. Some of these errors have spawned movements that can be studied. So let's talk a little bit about hermeneutics here. Hermeneutics, again, the major, major, major thing about hermeneutics is the constant failure to consider context. People seem to fail that, to understand that they're reading someone else's mail and that each verse is not a literary work of its own. I remember when I used to read the Bible when I was younger, I used to read the Bible in a fashion that I thought every scripture was a personal truth that would speak to me, that God would use that verse without having knowledge that the verses weren't even there you know, centuries ago, um, that the verse would speak to me some way. Such a horrible way to understand the Bible. If we have a shared body of information and we study the whole of Scripture, understand the Jewish background of the text, understand the setting of each book of the Bible, then a very quoted from given book will make sense to us. Yet many will never gain this information. So what we need to do is we need to have a textual appreciation We need to know the actual text of the Bible. We need to have a literary appreciation. We need to know the types of literature that are found within the Bible. We need to have an appreciation for for the history, to study out and seek out the author's intended meaning, the audience relevance of the text. Because otherwise what we run into, and we're going to talk a little bit about this next week, is we run into the algorizing of Scripture. You see this with Origen in the early church. We see this with Augustine in the early church. You run into the hyper-literalism that people often bring into their interpretation of the scriptures by not noting the different textual context, the literary context, as well as the historical context. I actually did the research. I began to look up a bunch of... uh, Theological Groups of Principles for Biblical Exegesis, for Hermeneutics. And, you know, it's interesting. You could visit, actually, Wikipedia and find their uh, excerpt there on Biblical Hermeneutics. Again, Biblical Hermeneutics is a part of a larger study on actual hermeneutics, on interpretation in general. In Biblical Hermeneutics, though, I found some interesting uh, groups of principles here. You have the Historical Grammatical Principle, which is based on historical, sociopolitical, geographical, cultural, and linguistic context. Then you have you know, the dispensational model, the covenantal model, the new covenantal model, ethnic division principles. Some of this stuff gets so frustrating. I shared with you last week a little bit about the law of first mention, that one of the easiest ways to understand a certain biblical topic is to find the first place that it's mentioned in Scripture. 
and then to study from that point forward to arrive at an understanding of that detail. I want to go back to that acronym I shared with you earlier, HEARTS. Again, mentioning that that was my first sermon here at the Blue Point Bible Church. And in that sermon, what I had preached about was the need for Hebrew exclusivity. Again, all throughout Scripture, if you study out the whole Old Testament, you see that the oracles of God were given to Israel of the flesh, the Jews, who they later became known as. And before that, they were known as the Hebrews. And it seems that God uses that context to speak to them. So when you understand the Hebrew exclusivity of the Scriptures, and you know that no other nation was speaking truth at that time, you begin to understand the focal point of the prophets. Then you look at audience relevance, and you understand the prophets from their perspective, rather than just jumping in and understanding them from any personal perspective. And then you have time statements, which is something that preterism and bringing reform into the body of Christ at this current day, preterism asserts the time statements, the need to take serious the time statements. When Jesus said, some standing here will not taste death, he meant some standing there would not taste death. When he said that the things, you know, the resurrection of the dead was about to happen, to use that Greek word mellow, when he said those things were about to happen, he meant they were about to happen in that generation, exactly when he said they would. That's taking serious the time statements. Again, there's so much to be said about Bible interpretation. However, in my conclusion this morning, what I want to highlight is my desire to be like the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 20, verse 27, he said that he did not hesitate to make known the whole counsel of God. And that's a desire I begin to think about. What is the whole counsel of God? What would only be half of the counsel of God? Maybe just the Old Testament? Maybe only just the New Testament, as some Christians unfortunately are inclined to do? Maybe just your personal interpretation without context. In Titus chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, the details are that the role of a minister is to make known true sound doctrine, to teach sound doctrine, and to rebuke those who oppose it. I would say that that is a good offering of the whole counsel of God. Because that's what we need to be doing. We need to be clinging to the truth, studying the truth, being diligent in studying the truth. teaching sound doctrine, and rebuking those who oppose it. I pray that I've begun to do that this morning in your heart and your mind and in my studies. My goal, ultimately, is always to urge you toward Bible reading. And here at the Blue Point Bible Church, we have so many different opportunities for you to begin Bible reading. Especially as we move closer to October 31st, the 500th year celebration of the Reformation. Martin Luther said this, for some years now, I have read through the Bible twice a year. If you picture the Bible as a mighty tree and every word a little branch, I have shaken every one of these branches because I want to know what it was and what it meant. Can I pray this morning that each of you will leave here saying, I want to look at the, I want to shake the branches of the tree of Scripture. That's going to be my grow and go for you. My growing goal for each and every one of us is to leave here today with the commitment to learn a hermeneutical principle and to teach it to a friend. Maybe teach all the hermeneutical principles that you know to a friend if you have that much time. Think through this moment. Who are some of those friends that need to say, hear somebody say, the Bible can be understood, that this is not just my interpretation. We are not at liberty 
to distort the word of God. I know we all have a friend that we need to tell that to. Also in closing, I just want to make mention of some resources. Again, J.I. Packer, Milton Terry, and David Shilton are some great resources to dig up on biblical hermeneutics. Those three men specifically use the terms. Again, but there's a vast variety of resources out there. Let's end in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you all the glory, Lord. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that you have given us the true knowledge of God, that if we would be diligent, we would not be ashamed, Lord. Lead us further in that. Lead us further in seeing you and understanding you and in knowing you, Lord, and in desiring that so that you would receive all the glory and that we would be edified by your truth, so that we would experience everything you've given us pertaining to life and godliness. To you be all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name.